David was a shepherd boy, but he soon turned into a mighty warrior king. This young man was responsible, he was brave, he was respectful, he was gifted, he was a leader. David was a man after God's own heart, one who knew God, and one who trusted God in an unbelievable way. But if we're honest, David's culture and circumstances are hard for us to understand. Very few of us have ever been a shepherd, technically. We may have never even petted a sheep or seen a live sheep. Now, some of you have. But again, the culture that David grew up in, Israel was sought after that territory. There were always bands who were trying to come in and take territory. We don't understand what it means to live with a spear or with arrows or to blockade our houses just in case some marauders come running through. We look to our policemen and we look to our country to be able to protect us. And, and most of us don't live in fear. We don't. There are times we perhaps live in fear, but, but that's not our normal thing. But David, and during his lifetime, that was something that was always a concern to him. Even as he began to rise through the ranks, even when he was Saul, King Saul's assistant, and, and eventually he became king, there was always wars in the land. And if you remember, David's reputation didn't, well, well Saul didn't like it so much, but, but Saul killed his thousands. Um, we kind of think about that, but whoa, <laughs> pretty violent culture. Pretty violent situation. But David, the little shepherd boy, he kills his ten thousands. Oh, my word. It's, it's just different. So when we read from the Psalms or when we read some of the Older Testament passages, we have to sometimes try to jump into a place, into a culture that seems so very, very foreign. We're going to look at a psalm today. In fact, it's Psalm 16. You can begin opening your Bibles or your flat screens to Psalm 16, and we're going to spend our time there today. But this is a very, very special psalm. It's called a golden psalm. No one actually understands why it's called that, but for some reason, David had some different designations, and he thought this one was a special one. Remember, a psalm is just a song or a poem. And again, it kind of breaks, and, and I hope I don't offend too many people here when I say this, but, but normally a warrior, normally a man's man, normally, you know, the SEAL team, part of the SEAL, we, we just don't sense they play the harp, write poetry. It's all I know about them at this moment. But, but you know, you, you look at these types of things, you go, well, that's kind of odd. I, I, I just wouldn't picture SEAL team and this guy doing this kind of a thing. 
But there was more to David, more facets to David. And, and David actually is one of the most refreshing people in the whole scriptures because literally he just pours his heart out at times. There are times you read Psalms and you go, oh boy, I, I, I just don't think I can say that. I, I mean, I think God would probably zap me if, if I would say the things David said. Or we look at, and sometimes it's so tender, and sometimes it's so overwhelming, and sometimes there's tears that just pour, and, and we get confused. We, we just get confused, but, but that's how life is. Life is sometimes confusing, and the Psalms are amazing part of the Scriptures that we can go to often and read and be encouraged. Most of the time, there's not a context to a psalm. Sometimes we get a little hint, but most of the time we don't. So we never know when the psalms are written. So literally at this time, even though David wrote the psalm, we don't know if there's arrows flying. We don't know if he's kind of just enjoying the balcony. We don't know anything at this moment. But by the time we're done with this psalm, I think you're going to see there was probably some rough times he was going through, not understanding all the things, even as God. But I know this. I know that each one of us will be different when we leave today. Not because you have a terrific super speaker, but because I believe with all of my heart when God's word is given out, that God's word changes us and empowers us and encourages us and, and gives us different perspective. And as I was just praying through the scriptures saying, what could I talk on the very first day of 2017? What would just give our people wings? What would encourage them? And I'll tell you, I just kept coming back. To Psalm 16. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for meeting with us today. I thank you for each one of the community that, that decided that they wanted to start off their new year with God's people. I'm so grateful for the worship team, and I'm so grateful, God, for all the people in the lower levels who are, who are watching kids, and I thank you so much for those who are turning knobs and all this, God, just to be able to help us see you more clearly. Would you do something special today? Would you start us off today, God, in this brand new year with wings, that we would see you clearer and that it would change everything we do? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's start. I'm going to read Psalm 16 for you. It's 11 verses. David starts off saying this. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take pleasure part in their sacrifices of blood, or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The Lord you have given me is a pleasant 
The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow the Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You know, in verse 1, David cries out to his God. He uses the term El, which is a name for God that literally comes back and it means the strong one or the mighty one to deliver. So he shouts out to El. And he says, keep me safe. Keep me safe. Preserve me. It almost sounds to me like there are some arrows flying around at this time. He's crying out to his God knowing that, that he is so dependent upon him. And then he says, I've come to you for refuge. I've come to you for a secure place. God, keep me safe. I'm going to go to you. I'm going to trust you. Have you ever longed for a secure place? As you look over your life, have you ever, have you ever been really afraid? And you just want somebody or some place to assure you that you're going to be okay. Well, there's been a couple times in my life that I have been scared in an unbelievable way. I, I know I look like I probably should be controlled most of the time, but that's not the truth. Back in 1967, when I was in eighth grade, and it was Halloween time. In fact, it was Halloween that day. And I had a good friend of mine. His name was Roger, and he was an MK from Paraguay. So basically, it was back in the United States for the very first time, and we were hanging out, and I grew up in the city of Chicago in, in that Norwood Park area. And, you know, you go trick-or-treating, or you do other things on Halloween night. Well, my buddy Roger had never gone trick-or-treating or he'd never done these other things. And so one of these other things that some of us like to do, and I just want to say, I, I was very immature. And it was so long ago, I trust that nothing like this would ever, ever happen in our community. But we used to take eggs. And, and it was a perfect spot. I don't know if you know where the city is, but the train that goes right down to the city has this big fenced area, and there were like bushes all right by the tracks, and there was this long street called Avondale. And Avondale was like the perfect spot to be able to launch your eggs. And one of the things we tried to do, we thought we were army men, even whatever that means, and, and we would launch it grenade style. So we would take our eggs and we would just let them fly and see if we could hit these cars. This is bad, but the story's going somewhere, okay? I'm letting you know. 
Anyway, Roger had never done this. He didn't understand the whole army thing where you kind of launch it like that. And honestly, I'd never hit a car in my life. So I don't even know what the deal was, but, you know, you, you do that. You go home, yeah, I egged, and, you, you know, you were a hero, and that's kind of cool. Roger, the guy, like, all of a sudden, there's this car. And, I, and again, uh, it was a black GTO, and it had glass packs. And it was going down Avondale, and it was shaking, and it was a powerful car. And everyone knows you never egg this kind of car. It's just like dumb. So before I could get it out of my mouth, Roger hauls back, he takes the egg, he lets it go like he's a baseball pitcher. Hits the thing right in the windshield, the thing stops, it kind of turns around like it's a cop car now or something like this, and Roger and I take off. I said, I'll meet you back at the house. He took one way, I went another way, and we just kind of, well wandered for about a half hour. Make a long story short, I thought it was safe. I did. Climbed back over the fence and was walking through Norwood Park about a block and a half from my house. And I cross the street and this car pulls up. I'm in eighth grade, folks. I thought I was dead. So I start running. This guy takes off after me like, it was kind of dumb. Why did I do this? But that's okay. And I made it to one of my neighbor's house. His name was Mr. Slim. I ran through the gangway, and there was kind of like this entrance down to his basement. And I thought I was safe. And I just cowered. It wasn't moments before this guy was walking down the gangway. I didn't think he could see me, but he did. And as soon as he saw me, he started coming at me. I think he was 12 feet tall, 600 pounds, and ready to just beat me up. So I did the one thing I probably needed to do, shout. And I shouted, Mr. Slim, Mr. Slim, Mr. Slim, Mr. Slim. This is the truth. Mr. Slim walks out of his back porch with a shotgun, all right, walks down to the porch, and he says, what's going on here? Mr. Slim, Mr. Slim, this guy's going to kill me, you know? And he couldn't see me. I'm Rick Wager. I'm the guy down. Like, that was dumb, too. Why would I tell my name? You know, like, this guy's going to. Anyway, so he looks over, and he looks down, and he says, is there a problem to the guy with his shotgun? He goes, No. He goes, I think you need to leave. And he left. He left. Now, Mr. Slim had a little talk with me afterwards, you know. But I am telling you, I went for a secure place, and I had no idea that Mr. Slim was as secure as Mr. Slim was. But after all these years, I remember Mr. Slim's name. And I know what it felt like to have my life... (laughs) Probably wasn't saved. But, but I felt like it was saved. I think this is what David is saying. Hey, Lord, I am afraid. Would you keep me safe? Would you bring your shotgun out? Would you look at the guy that's going to beat me up? 
And would you care for me? You see, God is our refuge. And maybe this is something we start off every morning in 2017. Lord, keep me safe. I don't know what today is going to look like. I need you. I need to know you're going to be walking with me. Would you be my refuge? Then in verse 2, David writes this, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. David actually shifts gear right now. He kind of shares his heart. In fact, during this section and all the rest of the psalm, he begins to focus on the Messiah, the second part of the Trinity. And as you read all the way through the Psalms, you're going to find out that David wrote so much about the Messiah. He believed that this Messiah was going to come. He understood who the Messiah, this was going to be a king. This was going to be a protector. This is a person that was going to come and bring peace to the territory. Well, David lets his Lord, his king, know that he is master here. He starts off saying, I am your slave. I'm your subject. I trust you. You know, sometimes, even in translations, um, when the word slave comes up, it's translated servant. And servants are good. Servants are necessary, at least in this culture. But a slave is really different than a servant. Paul himself calls himself a doulas or a slave. Often when he starts writing his scriptures, especially in Romans chapter 1, he would just say, Hi, I am Paul, an apostle, a slave. A very odd thing to say if we really understand what he's saying. He's saying that My Lord is my master. I actually don't have a whole lot of rights. Actually, whatever he asks me to do, I am going to do. I'm going to submit completely to you, my master. And David has this same understanding. He just says, hey, I'm just going to trust you. And David then acknowledges that every good thing literally comes from his God. I'm going to trust you. You are going to take care of me. You're going to be my refuge. refuge. And as I look around, everything in my life, everything that I have, has been given to me by you. In fact, I have nothing apart from you, God. Then in verses 3 and 4, the godly in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them, David says. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods, and I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. What David's basically saying here is, you know what, living with the Messiah, living with God, gives me perspective and wisdom that I normally wouldn't have. He's saying this, you know what, God, there's two kinds of people out there. I just want you to know. Some chase after you, and some chase after other gods, technically. Um, 
the God chasers in my world are the people who are my heroes. He says, I take pleasure in them. I spend time with them. Those people that love you, God, that honor you, God, they're my BFFs. They are. I just want you to know that. He's kind of affirming this. You know, this last week, I had an opportunity to honor some heroes. You don't know these folks, but these are folks that over the last, well, in some cases, 20 years, have been people who have been investing in others. A little bit older, one was 75 and one was 80. But Sharon and I had the opportunity to go to these funerals and even participate in these funerals. And so many of you know that it's kind of weird to say there was a good funeral. But a good funeral is a person who has walked with God, who has invested well over their lives, and be able to point back to people who are kingdom people as a result. And you know, I, I focused on these guys. I thank God for these two men, Rich and Ted. And I love being part of their funerals as I heard person after person be able to reflect what kind of impact that they made in their life. How they were influential in helping them love God. How they spent their money differently than most people. How they spent their time differently than most people. And how at that very moment, they were absolutely rejoicing and partying in heaven with their king. So we mourned, not like everybody mourns, as Paul says. Missing them, yes, but so grateful that they are enjoying their God. You're going to hear me talk about heroes a lot. Heroes to me are people that have faith in God in spite of circumstances. Heroes to me are folks near the end of their life who love God more and more and more. Not become more self-focused or self-centered. Well, Paul, excuse me, David basically says, you know, um, I take pleasure. I hang out with those people that honor you, God. But, but there are people who actually chase after other gods. And if we just read that, we kind of think, well, you know what, uh, we, we don't have a lot of other gods. And, and yet today, our gods are a little bit more subtle. Our, our gods aren't usually little figurines, although they could be. Our gods are success, and our gods are finances, and our gods are academics, and our gods are jobs, and our gods are... And we just kind of look at this, and, and really what David is saying is that there are some people that, well, don't honor you well, God, that they serve these gods more than they care about you. And he says this, trouble or sorrow and suffering multiplies. But David says this, he says, you know what? I'm not going to take part in their sacrifices. 
I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to get sucked into it. I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to honor you, God, with my time and my finances. I'm going to make sure that you are my God. In fact, I'm not even going to speak the names of the other gods. I'm not going to dabble. I guess as you look at 2017, and you wonder, and you ask yourself this question, Will I be able to honor God more this year than I've ever done? And if you're even confused, what you could do is go back and look at your calendar or or look at your checkbook. Because sometimes those things point to what is really important to us and what we actually worship. And it just, God, are you my God? Or there's some other gods, and what do I need to do about that? And then verses 5 and 6, I call this uh, truth package number 1. Because David just starts billing things out, truths about his God, his Lord, his Master. He's overwhelmed by his grace. But but look at verses 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. You alone have blessed me, David says. My cup is full. I am overwhelmed by what you've done for me. He says, you alone are my inheritance. Back then, literally, it would be called my portion or my spoils. When you go into a land and you conquer it and you you bring back all the the, um, uh, things that you found the spoils of war. That's the word he's using here. He goes, you are my spoils. You are my future. You alone are my guard. You are my sentry. You are the person that walks with me, that protects me. You've given me a pleasant land, or in other words, you've given me what I need, and I look forward to my inheritance, my future. David is shouting that he has faith and confidence in his master. He's able to see and say thank you and be grateful. And then verse 7, Therefore, I will bless the Lord, my master, who guides me. Who guides me. I'll tell you, some of you are directionally challenged more than others. But all of us have become a little bit more dependent on our phones than probably we like, all right? As long as we have an address, boom, we're, we're good. We're good. And even there's some applications out there like Waze, which not only will get you to the place, but if there's a little bit of traffic, oh, we'll, you know, put you somewhere else and, and we'll get you there. Just, just listen to me. But anyone that has used their GPS, their smartphone, or whatever, you start traveling And there are times you go, I know better than this GPS. Why is this GPS taking me over here? This is like crazy. I'm just, you know, and and then all of a sudden there's that little voice that comes on. And, you know, it says, okay, we're going to readjust because you are an idiot and not listening to me. Is that what yours says? That's what mine says. You know? And really what happens is you think you're smarter than the GPS. 
Well, you know what? In, in, in this last week when we were going to the funeral in Ann Arbor, we didn't even get out of the city and it was jammed. And my Waze app said, get off. Well, I knew this part of the city. This seemed absolutely ridiculous. But you know what? I listened for once. And it put me all through these neighborhoods, back into this industrial area, whatever. I don't even know if we saved any time. But I know this. We were not sitting on this highway that was marked red. I was so excited to be moving. I was shown new territory. I didn't even know parts of the city looked like this. Because I listened. And you know, I just think that's what our master does sometimes. He guides us. He directs us. But most of us, again, wait, excuse me, God, you're pretty smart, but, you know, I really know better. I, you know, if you could just do this, and if you could do this, and if you could... Now, I don't think it's bad to talk back to God at times. You know, that's called conversation. But if we ever think... We like no more than our master? That's where we get in trouble. But David was so excited. I will bless the Lord. I will will speak well of you, God. You guide me. I am so grateful you're my GPS. And I I want to listen to you in life. Then in verses 8 to 10, I call this the truth package number two. And the truth back is number two. I know that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right here beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. The Lord is always with me, right beside me. So I will not be shaken. What a promise. What confidence. When you first find out that you have that cancer. When you're not understanding why someone isn't getting better. When you look at your kid who isn't cooperating so well. And you're shouting out to God. God, I don't know if I can handle this. God, I lost my job again. You know, Lord, I'm not as active as I used to be. I have more aches and more pain. God, is, is there any way you could? And God says this. He goes, I'm not promising I'm ever going to change those things. Maybe I will. But I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stand by you. You will not be shaken. He says, my body rests in safety. Literally, in some of your translations, it would be, my flesh will also dwell securely. And these are hard kind of sentences to understand. But what David is really just saying is death really doesn't pose any threat to David. You know, one of the exciting things is I chatted, especially with Rich, one of the heroes I put up there. Rich was not afraid to die. This was not a concern to him. He was more concerned about his wife and if his wife was going to be taken care of. But he was excited to be able to spend eternity with his God. 
Now, verse 10, if we're honest, is a little bit tough to completely understand. This portion is literally used by the apostles in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 13. And the apostles literally quote David from this passage. But I think what David is really trying to say is this. He says, I won't spend any time in Sheol. I won't spend any time. And, and again, that term's probably a little foreign to us, but, but back in this culture at this time, it was basically the abode of the dead. It was the place again, the, the resting place before God would call his saints back into glory. And he basically is, is just saying this. He goes, I have confidence that I'm going to spend time with you, God. And then the scripture in uh, verse 10 at the end, it says, or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. The word holy one is really a messianic term. There's no doubt about it. And this is especially what the, the apostles in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13 are talking about. They're basically saying, hey, I just want you to know one of the proofs of the Messiah is that he was going to rise from the dead. It would happen before his flesh literally would rot. He would not decay. This favored one would not decay in the grave. Basically, I think in verse 10, David is expressing confidence in his Messiah and in his future. And then we get to verse 11. Verse 11 is worthy to be a year's verse. It is worthy to focus on. It is worthy to memorize. It is, it is worthy if you mark your Bibles to mark your Bibles. David says this, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. What David is saying is that you alone, God, you alone, God, teach me how to do life. You are my compass. You are my sage. You are my teacher. Nobody knows how to live this life like you, God. I want you to know that. You know, some of you have been commenting on the new shepherd staff that you're receiving via email. And if you haven't received this shepherd staff, please let me know. We'll make sure you get on that email list. But the truth is, this last shepherd staff focused on reading through the scriptures. And I'm pretty sure everyone sitting here would raise their hand. How many think God's word's important? Boom! We're up there. Yes, I do. But the truth is, sometimes... God's Word doesn't have the priority that it probably ought to have. What David was saying here is that you alone, God, are going to show me how to live. And one of God's primary ways to be able to show us how to live is through His Scriptures. And we want to encourage you as a leadership team here at Crosspoint, to read the scriptures every day and to listen. And I'm sure many of you do. 
But one of the things, and there's some pamphlets out in the lobby, and you could have downloaded something, but, but what we're looking at, this is something I've probably used over the last 25 years. And, and it's kind of a neat plan. It goes through the first 25 days of the month, so in case you get behind just a little bit, you've got some, you know, places to catch up. But there are four columns. And, and if you go through and read the scriptures in the year, what happens is that you have an opportunity to focus on, well, four different places in the scripture. And folks, there's lots of other methods. I, this is not the only method. But if you're looking for something, you can pick one of these on your way out. And I think, again, just as a very first day of this year, saying, you know, God, I do want to get to know you better. I I want to know about life. I want to live abundantly and experience your pleasure. And this may be a tool that might help you down this year and maybe for the rest of the years of your life. But he says, hey, you teach me how to do life, but you alone bring me joy now. And I'll tell you, I don't think there's one person sitting here, one person in your neighborhood, one person in this country, one person in our world that does not want to experience joy. But so much of our joy is so dependent on our circumstances. If I get a raise, I am a joyful person. My kids just listened to me once today. I am a joyful person. If they sleep through the night, I am a joyful person. If they come back during curfew, I mean, when the cur- you know, and you can go. So everything, if I get a new job, if I get a raise, if I, you know, get a new car, if I don't get in an accident, I, and you just, I am a joyful person. But the truth is, life is hard. And what we want is to be able to experience joy in spite of circumstances. And as we hear from God, as we listen to God, we have an example that David gave us where we can bask in the truths of the Scripture and understand that God desires deeply to walk with us and that His presence alone will give us the joy that everyone needs. And then at the very end, you alone bring me joy forever. You bring me joy. Now, God, whoa, that is pretty good. But you not only give me joy now, when I eventually close my eyes, and I don't care how long God gives you, I think the oldest person on the planet, at least, that that we know about right now is 117. So let's just say you're going to be that person. You get 117 years. That's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. So getting to know your master, your king, your Lord, recognizing he's your refuge, understanding that he desires deeply to walk with you in life and encourage you. So that you might, in this hard life, experience joy now. But when you shut your eyes, oh my word, that's when the party starts. 
What a promise. You see, David knows his God and trusts his God. David knows that real, continuous, lasting joy comes from walking with his God in spite of circumstances. You know, one of the things that I like to do when I lead a mission trip is to take one psalm and to focus on it morning, noon, and night. As a team gathers around, we read one psalm and we just listen to God and we say, God, what are you refining? What are you telling us? What are you convicting us about? This was the psalm that we read on on the Jamaica mission trip that I did in November. With all these high school kids, every single day, and the first day, Rick, do we do this again tomorrow? Yes, we do. After the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day. I'm telling you, a couple of the kids memorized it. They're sharper than I am. They said, Rick, I've memorized it, don't need it. No, no, they didn't say that. But the truth is this, is that as we open up God's word, the same psalm, I have a friend of mine, and, and some of you may know his name, his name is Ian Leach. Ian Leach is a Scottish evangelism. So most people just kind of listen to Ian because he talks cool, you know. But Ian is a man of substance. And one of the things that he taught me, he goes, you know what, Rick? For the majority of my life, I have spent each year focusing on one psalm. At the time I chatted with him, he was probably 60, and he had worked through 40 psalms. So for 40 years, he spent focusing and reading one psalm for those 40 years. He says, I really know 40 psalms well. You know, you will learn something every single day as you open up his precious word. It will be what you need, what I need. It needs to be a priority. And for you to teach your kids and teach your spouse and teach yourself, and I mean, it just encourages you. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that David, this man's man, knows he needs you. And God, I thank you that he shares his heart. And I thank you that he speaks truth back to you. And I thank you, dear God, that in spite of his circumstances or situations, that he has joy in you. And and God, literally, that he knew he was going to spend eternity with you. God, I pray that our community here at Crosspoint... spends more time with you. That we would hear your voice. That we would respond to your directions. And that our faith in you would grow and grow and grow. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, at this time, most of you received a um, bulletin. Uh, In one section of your bulletin, there's a tear-off. And um, we just ask you to do this. If you're newer to our fellowship, we would love for you to fill that out so we can connect with you and help you on your journey if that's what you'd like. Maybe others have some prayer requests or some things that you would like to share or you just want to call even this week. I, I would tear that off and 
Write that down and you can put that in the offering which we'll receive in just a little bit. But we've been spending some time after the message to, to just listen. And even this week what is happening is that um, we're going to even have the majority of our, our praise and our worship after the message today. So for the next few minutes, we, we'd like you to listen to God, to be quiet. But I'm also going to ask you to do one other thing. Normally during the first Sunday of the month, we celebrate communion. And as you walked in today, you, you saw some of the cup and the bread here, and, and there's three spots in the back. And as you listen to God over these next few minutes, I would like to encourage you, if you'd like to take communion, which is totally open to every daughter or son of God, that you would come up and either with someone that came with you or maybe you're just by yourself today, that that you would take the cup and that you would take the bread. And that you would go back to your seat then. And you would, well, reflect. The scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians, and Jesus modeled for it, very at the, at, at the Last Supper. He says, hey, I've, I've got a new tradition, a new covenant. And I'd like for you to do this often. Because I don't want you to ever forget what I did for you. The blood well, that's going to signify the cup. And I, and I shed that so that each one of you might have abundant and eternal life if you believe in me. And the bread, well, the bread's going to represent my broken body. And it was broken for you. It was maimed for you so that you might have life. So we're going to ask you to be quiet, to listen to God, if you'd like to participate in communion, you can go to one of these five stations. You can take the cup and the bread, bring it back to your seat, and just have a private time of worship. And when you're ready, you can drink and you can eat, thanking God again for His amazing grace. And when we're finished, I'll pray will receive offering and continue to praise our God. Father, we do thank you. We are so grateful that you love us. That you came up with a plan so that we might be reconciled, that we can enjoy your presence every day, not because of something we've done, but because you have graced us and provided access for us, because you died, you shed your blood, you've risen from the grave, and you are now on the throne. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to meet with God's people today. We thank you, Lord, that um, we can sing and we can focus on all the truth 
that you've shared with us. Lord, we pray today that as we even receive an offering, that our offering will be given because we love you. Lord, we want to invest well. We want to invest our time well in people, encourage them on their journey, but we also want to invest well with our finances. Thank you for your generosity to us, and we pray, God, as we give back today, that you will take these funds and you will use them to build your kingdom. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Hey, before you go, would you greet one another? Would you encourage one another? And on your way out, if you haven't received a Bible reading plan, I encourage you to take it and see what God's going to do in and through you this year. Happy New Year, folks.